You're listening to That's What I Thought, a casual conversation about life, love, relationships, and the lessons we learn. Here are your hosts, Micah and Annette. Hey, welcome back to That's What I Thought in week two of our special relationship series with Michael Kraybill and Adam Deckard. So this week um, is a lot of fun because I did start preaching a little bit. I got a little hyped up, but because I'm super passionate about this topic. So let's jump in. If that's true, and I don't know Annette, if you want to respond uh, to what he's saying here, because I, I think uh, for what, what Adam has just said, that that starts this this inner longing that even though we want, uh, even though we got what we wanted, it's still not fulfilling this inner desire in our soul, which is what you were saying in a way is like, why is it this person fulfilling this need? But I, cause I, I was told this entire time that that's what the answer was. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know about you uh, in particular Annette, but that's something when, when you said that, I'm like, well, yeah, it's, I think that's probably the issue is that when we look for, you know, the, whole Jerry Maguire, the you complete me type of uh, mentality. Like, I don't think that's not, that wasn't the point. I think complimentary, but like, we're not supposed to complete one another. If we complete one another, and from my understanding, of course, this is, this is very naive because I don't, I haven't had the experiences you two have had that, that we're supposed to be completed in our fullness, you know, with God first, because when we look at the way Jesus, for example, I don't think anyone would look at him and say his life was unfulfilled or any of the disciples who were not married, like, oh, you know, they, if only they had a good woman in their lives. Uh, you know, I think we could say that about a lot of uh, guys who are single lack a lot of self-awareness, but I don't think we're going to say that about, about Christ. So, Annette, what do you, what do you think about that? Is, is that, um, where's that mentality of, and maybe this lie saying the other person is supposed to complete me, where's that coming from? I have so many thoughts on all of these things. Um, <laughs> I, first of all, I want to build off of what Adam said, because I think that I definitely agree with the issue that he's seen. I wouldn't necessarily point the finger entirely at social media as much as I would the family. Um, and I will come back to that. But I think, so after college, like, I was like, sad for a while and then I moved on from being sad to being like I would like to be in a relationship so then I changed my philosophy to I'm going to go on as many dates as possible because what am I good at I'm good at meeting people and talking to strangers so I think I mean that's what Adam is seeing is a generation of kids who aren't super good at meeting people or talking to strangers in person they're really great at like talking to friends online and like playing games with people they don't know but when it comes to relationships where there are risks, it's really difficult for them to walk into that space. Um, so I think pro-social media, one of the great things I thought is like after college, like there were so many people I got to keep up with. And like, hey, when you're, I wasn't on any dating site specifically, but I had all my social media to be like, these are people I already have relationships with and maybe I never thought as a viable option before because I think, you know, you got to have the right 
place the right time and the right person and that means like you and that person are at the same place being equally yoked meeting at that same route so there's like yeah. there's a lot of things that have to happen for this to work which is a miraculous thing so like I don't really know how people do it without God I guess you know that's why so many relationships don't work but there I think one of the things is like <laughs> being able to have your your code, your expectations, your forethought as you go into those relationships. Because I think one of the things that I see, especially with students that I work with, is that when I ask them about, um, you know, sexuality, and if that's like something that's weird and confusing to them, so much different than when I was in high school, they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, like, it's fine. I'm not worried about it. Like, they have like, so much less shame I would say in like talking about it and being around it and I think that's probably because the sexual conversation is at the front of their school conversations in like a different way because of the culture and in a way that's talking about like gender identity um, which is a different conversation but like they're so much more comfortable talking about relationships and the idea of these things I think one of the things that we still believe is that is that consumerism narrative, which we see in everything. I mean, we see it in church, we see it in these relationships. So when I'm online looking for someone, when I'm sliding into their DMs, it's still not about, you know, me loving this person, serving this person. It's about what is this person going to give to me? And what that technology is, you know, whether it's there or not, I think this is a pre-existing issue. Yeah. But the fact that we are accustomed to everything serving us, to everything being personalized to us and everything meeting what we want, then the person on the other end of that conversation is disposable, period. Like, and the fact that the risk level goes way down when I'm using social media, like I don't have to, I don't have to break up with them. I just have to ghost them. Yeah. And I can block them and not tell them why. And you know, it's done. No, no risk necessary. And I think like that's that's the approach that is is deteriorating those relationships like that's the approach that's unhealthy if you go into the mindset of you know i'm going to use my social media to build these relationships to build these connections to get to know people and the way adam said like i'm scrolling through their feed oh they like skiing like i'm gonna ask them out on a date in person we're gonna have coffee and be chill like i'm not gonna have this expectation that you know we're gonna get married but you know, I'm going to ask them, you know, I saw you like skiing. What's that like? <laughs> like, I don't know how to ski. Why do you like it? You know, I think it's being able to use social media as what it is, which is a superficial layer and say, I know this is a superficial layer. Like, I know this person isn't like presenting every deep, dark secret on social media. And I hope that they're not like, that would be a red flag to me. Be like, yeah. Like this yeah. person is sharing way too much with strangers. Like they're clearly looking for validation. But like to take that superficial level and almost, I mean, use it as your small talk propeller and be like, you know, hey, I know based on this person's profile, we probably do have some things in common or we definitely don't. So either I'm going to ask this person out or I'm going to not. And then in that conversation, like, hey, at least, you know, I have some conversation starters, some things they might actually like. But when you go into it with, you know, you've already stalked them on social media and now you're sliding to the DMs, but you're not going to take any risks in that relationship by asking them out. You're just going to talk to them until you get bored or they don't meet your expectation or they're not serving you in the way they want. You know, even if that's, you know, they're not sending you any crazy pics. Like, I feel like that's a lot of 
the stereotypical high school boy narrative, like, you know, when they're not sending me pics and I'm done with them, like, I'll just ghost them. Like, that's the issue. I think it's not, it's not the technology, it's that we're not prepared to be vulnerable in our relationships. And I think that comes from, um, <laughs> I, I think it comes from the lack of character development, the lack of discipleship in your life. Yeah. And so, you know, you see people who aren't in the church doing that. I mean, it's the same way of like, you know, of course I don't expect that from them. Like they don't have the fruit of the spirit in their lives. They're not like trying to be made holy. But like, if you see someone online who's following Jesus, like, I feel like that is a great place to confront them and being like, you can't just slide into someone's DMs and then ghost them. Like you are a new creation in Christ. Like you have to be vulnerable. You have to take risks. You have to be honest and have those real conversations. You can't just like be like, sorry, I'm out. Like that, that doesn't work. You have to have more boldness and bravery in that. Yeah, you you bring up oh my gosh you bring up such good points uh yeah relationships involve risk that's exactly what I was thinking when I was talking or when Adam was talking is that yeah it, it's we're not willing to take that next step and it, it's very it's very narcissistic it's a very consumer culture it's like what can you do for me and when you can't do anything for me then 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 you're done what do you do with a product that you're done with you throw it away or you sell it and that that's something that you know that I have fallen prey to unfortunately. Um, Adam, I saw you shaking your head a little bit during what, and that is saying, can you, is this something I'm curious because of your connection with the youth as well? Like, are you seeing a more comfortable nature with younger people in regards to sexuality? And are you also seeing this consumerism really, really plague relationships for our generation? It's funny, I hadn't, I don't think I'd really thought about until she said it that much. I, I admit that I struggle to have as, as much as I feel like it's a, it's a necessity and it's important. I've, I've, in the short time that I've been doing youth ministry, I struggle greatly with how to address sex and sexuality, partially because of, um, partially because of the maybe the puritanical nature in which I was brought up, but also the, um, I don't know, like they, they are so much open. They are so much more open to it. And like, you know, because that is the forefront of our conversation and we need to be speaking into that conversation. Um, I, I honestly haven't had many of those conversations with um, any of my kids. So I can't really speak to that as much. Um, but I, you know, I, I do see the conversations happening or I do see, you know, obviously the cultural conversation happening and I can see why that would be a thing, but, um, with the, um, um, consumerism. Yes. Thank you. With the consumerism, I think that, um, oh, what was it with the consumerism? There was, um, but the social uh, what was media, it that she said, you know, let's think so well, I'll let you say it in that. What is saying? consumerism by airline food? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think there was a, there was an avenue of, of, oh, oh, wait, I think I remember. I remember. Yeah. The, I, I feel like the, the consumerism in relationships is, is and the word that I kept thinking of was just objectifying. It, it's just, it's, yeah it's, it's incredibly objectifying to the person, you know, when you, 
if you're if you're using this as a potential to you know like just kind of scope out like is this someone is this something that i want is this something like using people as a disposable resource as you as you were referring to um um oh i lost it again hold on sidebar is there also maybe some correlation but not necessarily causation causation connected there with why sexuality is such an easier conversation for them but pornography continues to rise yeah right you mean the gender of people but continuing to exploit people i don't know right absolutely yeah and and i always think and for, for anyone that might be from the older generations listening to this too um the this is not i mean you, you mentioned Anna, like the puritanical culture and the, and the approach to um to sex like i don't disagree with anything that i was taught about sex in fact there, a lot of the stuff was factually about like what is expectations as far as what scripture teaches and then what decisions lead to healthier relationships i think a lot of the facts like here are the, and here is what is good here's what leads to healthiness i think all those at least for me were, were great things that i agree with however how they were reinforced is I think where we could see a lot of areas for improvement. Um, and then the application of those things, which I know something Adam in particular that you've shared, I just for the older people. Yeah. It's, it wasn't always applied in the best way. Uh, public declarations to a lot of people about your, your chase for purity. I don't think are the best things. Cause I think that can shame a lot of people and peer pressure and in, in people into it. And I don't like the word pure anyway. Because I think what that implies is that anyone who is like, for example, not a virgin before they get married, that they're somehow impure. And I'm like, okay, if we're going to discuss purity when it comes to sex, like, well, none of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us are pure. I, so I don't even like that word. I, I, I would like to apply that to Christ's blood. That's the only thing pure that has been in this world is the thing that can deliver us from all sin. So I don't even like using that word pure. Um, because every time I look in the mirror, it's like, oh yeah, look at, I'm going to die someday. Why? Because I'm, it's a product of sin, but God's redeemed it, but I'm still going to die because there's sin in the world. And it's like this never ending avalanche of, like, that I, that I see. Um, right. but Adam, you, you maybe mentioned this. We mentioned this last week, a D group that, um, we talk about social media and consumerism that sometimes, unfortunately, like Christians can feed into that by what we post. And, and that's, and this, that's a whole other conversation, but like, are we, are we using this tool with discernment and wisdom? And that brings up a great point just about what social media can do for relationships. Are we building it as the foundation where it is going to be more objectifying in my opinion? And I think all of our opinions, or can it add into a foundation like, Hey, I'm going to go on a date with a girl. Like you said, Annette, and I find out, you know, she likes skiing. Well, I, well, I could see based on her social media presence by, for example, the pictures that she posts of herself on, on her profile. Um, like, Oh, modest. Oh, okay. It's not pornographical. That's good news. You know, like, Hey, she shared this or like, Hey, you can tell by the language that she does or doesn't use it. Hey, hey look at she surfs or skis. Those are things you can take and put in the back of your head saying, remember that, remember that. But like, if I'm going to try to build a relationship all on the stuff that she wants me to see, not that stuff that's not that he's even fake. It can be true. It can be a, but it's a sliver. It's a sliver of, of what the life is. But when we are limited on Twitter or we are just posting one, maybe a couple times a week, again, that's stuff that we want people to see. So 
how do you, how do you, I don't know how you do, no wonder it doesn't work out if <laughs> people build a foundation on social media. Mm. Ponder that listeners. <laughs> yeah. Man. I mean, like I, again, it's, you know, the social media being the utopia and dystopia at the same time. I like in that. that I it like can that. be, it can be such, and is such a useful tool. Um, I think I have a tendency to go to the negatives um, partially because of social media's influence in my own life. So I, I have my own experience there. That's, that's kind of, I don't want to call it jaded, but it's, I mean, it's, it's just, I'm, I'm in a season right now where I'm trying to back away from it. So I'm because I've recognized the, the drawbacks in my life and I I'm kind of in a position where I'm trying to help um not only students but older adults as well um and, and like try and navigate it because no one teaches us how to navigate social media which is in part why we're having this discussion um but like and again like that could be its own podcast and that could be you know a million podcasts or whatever but yeah um i just think that um i have seen social media turn into a coping mechanism that like it's a coping mechanism that like, you know, we, we end up turning to, we end up feeling more comfortable with a machine than we do with a person. Yeah. And if that, if that is the narrative in your marriage, if that's the narrative in your relationship, if, if all of your in-between moments um, are, 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 devoured by social media use and instead of spending time with your significant other or or what have you you know and it's not all it's not all dire warnings or anything but it's just it's it's a it's it's i personally am trying to bring awareness to the imbalance because i had an imbalance in my own life so i see couples who are out to dinner and they're both on their cell phones not even talking to each other it's like what are you doing like why are you here like put the phone down and actually connect with the person that you're trying to connect with. Like, yeah. I don't know. And, and there's definitely an element of, you know, I know a, a popular thing to do, you know, because of all the media we consume, we, we like to share media. We like to, we like to share media with one another. Um, um, but there's a difference between sharing media that makes us laugh and sharing what what makes us tick if for, for lack of a better term i mean yeah. not to say that you can't learn from you know like you know you get to learn about people's sense of humor or in these different things but like i don't know it's it's interesting for sure um i have seen social media used very well and i've also seen it used very poorly so yeah yeah it, ultimately this what we're talking about here, which is kind of the heart of what I wanted to talk about tonight, um, because I think um, your perspectives will, will help at least one person I know out there, uh, is this ever-increasing um, you know, feeling of loneliness, maybe of dread, uh, because if you're even not a Christian, if I mean, I don't know what people who aren't Christians live for anymore. Uh, I think you're seeing in this country the widespread and disparate views on politics and, and uh, social stances and the 
uh, increased um, polarization of what people do with their own bodies, whether it's uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, medical decisions or, um, you know, we talked, you, you mentioned it earlier, that gender identity, that uh, the increased polarization is, is getting farther and farther apart. So it's, it's finding, finding like the little social circles, like, do I have to change my friend group every time that, you know, we have another thing that we have to like draw a line in the sand on. And when you come to relationships, somebody you're trying desperately to you know, connect with and maybe you know, get married to, or maybe not. Um, it's something that I've, for the first time in my life, I've had to just admit here in the last couple of weeks that I am really like struggling with loneliness. And I'm not the only one. This desire for companionship is not, it's not like non-biblical. It's, it's something we talked about. It's built in. And what I struggle with truly is like, as a pastor, like I want to be fully devoted to my church and my flock and I want to shepherd them. Well, I, and I say, I don't want to be burdened by a relationship, not because it's a burden because people say like, Oh, well, you'll find the right woman. They'll, they'll encourage you and be able to add to the, add to it, not take it away. Like all oh, that might be well and good, but I really struggle with Paul's words in first Corinthians. I really struggle with that. I look at Jesus and the life he led. And it's like, no, again, no one's going to say that they lived unfulfilled lives because they didn't have sex. Uh, like, and it, which is the thing, if I may be an expectation in marriage that, okay, now that I have this thing, now that I can have sex in a healthy way, now my life is somehow complete. It's fuller than it was before. And if it doesn't meet that expectation, I can't imagine the um, depression that, or just the sorrow that one might experience when they've been told, this is what you have to do if you're a Christian. And once you get it, that's the pinnacle of life. And, you know, maybe they don't come out and say that, but, you know, that's what my grandparents did. That's what my parents did. And then when you get it, you're like, that's it? <laughs> like, like is that, this, is the, this is what I'm meant to do? Now I'm supposed to become a mother or a father for 40 years that I die. And then I'm like, what? That's it? Um, so, like, I'm struggling with that dichotomy. Of like, what am I supposed to do? And in this, the, the, I guess the, the part where, I am privileged is I have, and I have, by the way, I have this person's permission to share this briefly is I have been in love. I, I have known uh, what it's like to have been loved by somebody that did not put any expectations on the relationship uh, that I felt completely safe and secure with. And I could be myself. And I have, I felt that. And that I wouldn't say I'm not going to be like Romeo and Juliet and it was ripped away from me and it was never meant to be. No, that's, that's, that's not the point is I, I felt that. And I long for that again. I do. Um, that's just not, you know, obviously not what has been meant to be at the moment. I there's I'm supposed to be over here in another lane, which I hate, but I'm grateful for at the same time. It's, it's unfortunate. I guess what I'm, what I'm sharing from my heart for those people who are out there is that, Listen to Annette. I don't. I think she should just take over hosting this podcast. Is that it's okay to grieve? I've had to grieve that loss. In fact, I've dated other other women only to realize what I had been chasing is how I felt a couple relationships back, because I was I was either in it for the consumeristic nature, or I was I was in it just to have to have it so I could have something, someone to hold or someone to hold me because I was feeling lonely, which. Imagine that those relationships didn't work out. I mean, I, who would have thought? And all the while I'm thinking, oh, I actually have the foundation here. I, I know what it actually feels like. So 
I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm one of the blessed ones to have had that. And if I'm never out more in a, if I'm never in a relationship like that ever again, at least I had it. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm no longer angry, but it took a while. But here's the thing, that loneliness that I feel, that angst, that dread, I understand that that's not just people who are single. I, I know I've talked to people and there's been testimony from others who they've been in relationships, but they've never felt more alone. They, they never, I mean, talk about neglect. I mean, it's one to feel lonely when you're by yourself, but when you feel that loneliness and neglect when another person, you know, like Adam, what you're saying no longer is curious about you. Oh my gosh, what a prison that must be. So I, I have to ask you two, now that I've shared just my, my brief, my brief thing, how, how do you combat that loneliness? How do you, and this is not an indictment on your spouses, by the way. No, I know, by no means. Um, it's just, you know, I mean, I know Emily uh, Deckard, uh, for, for example, really well. I know that Adam is not struggling uh, with uh, relationships and loneliness. And I, I don't know Micah there, Annette, but I, I trust and I can see the fruit in your marriages. But how, but those, but those times, I know that those times exist, talking to my parents, talking to my grandparents, that there are those moments where, whether it's due to not getting your own way, or maybe you felt you were hurt. Uh, the other person, you know, accidentally hurt you, or they forgot something at the store. And it's like, oh, why didn't you just listen? Why couldn't you just listen to me? You know, this, those things that couples go through, how do you struggle um, to, or I, mean, I don't say, how do you struggle, but do you, uh, maybe you do struggle with any sort of loneliness or your advice, I guess, to people, if you can't relate directly to fight against loneliness, even while they're in relationships. And that I'll throw it to you first. Somebody feels, I'm going to pull up my glasses so you can see my eyes so that you know that I see you. <laughs> I, I just, I am so sad. I could, like, I'm not a crier, but I could cry for you right now. Cause I just, I feel that. And I know that pain and obviously I don't know your situation, but I, I know that that pain, cause I, I'm someone who really, I mean, I, I crave attention. I love to be the center of attention. I love affection. Like physical touch is my love language. Number one, like no, <laughs> no competition. I mean, words of affirmation is pretty high up there too, but you know, both of those can make you really, you know, desperate for relationship and when somebody fills that gap and then they're no longer there there's a I mean it's a massive loss and it and it doesn't matter the situation it's just it's crippling um and yeah I mean I guess the best I can do is just share a little bit of my experience and to speak to that loneliness because it is so real I mean and I think there was a lot of difficulties for me not feeling like I really connected socially in college. And I think, and I would love to share some of this too. When I, when I graduated, I started listening to Julie Slattery who um, talks about God's design for sexuality. And I love her. She has been just a great online mentor for me, like single to married, whatever. She's been awesome. Cause she just very openly will talk about sexuality um, and God's design for it in a way that's so freeing and honest and raw. And I feel like, especially when I've been in that situation, like one of the things I'm just like, so thirsty for information, for knowledge, for like understanding of what that is. And like part of the frustration I feel like is like that the church doesn't always know how to give that in a way that's helpful. Um, and 
mentors and spiritual mothers and fathers seem to be so rare that it's like I'm just I'm craving that that information I don't know where to get it so like I definitely feel for that too but I mean one of the there's a sex therapist his name is Doug Rosenthal and I can send you his name later but he I mean he dives into this so well I mean he just wrote a book about um singleness and sexuality I think he I think it's called like single and sexually whole and just this whole I this whole conversation that we are designed by his definition to be socially sexual as well as erotically sexual and kind of like how in English we only really have one word for love we don't really understand the complexities of our sexuality within relationships. So like we've been taught that, you know, like sex is just intercourse, you know, just like genitals rubbing together and that's sexuality. When like your sexuality is so much more than that. And, you know, to be erotically sexually intimate is, is an amazing metaphor and amazing part of relationship and amazing illustration of God's design for like being known entirely and thoroughly and not being rejected. Like, I think that is something that he, he illustrates through marriage. And at the same time, like, like I've had sex. It's great. I love it. It's important, but I, I mean, it's not the most, like it didn't, it's not the most amazing thing. Like it's not the end all be all. Like it's amazing and so important, but I mean, there's couples who, you know, for whatever reason, can't have sex anymore and still have an amazingly sexually intimate relationship. And sex is so much more than just the act of intercourse. Um, and I think that's important in the conversation too. But also like, as someone who has gone from an environment that, you know, is all your peers and the dating pool is everyone. And then you move on from there and you're like, where is the dating pool? They are all gone. <laughs> like it can be so frustrating, which is why I'm yeah. I celebrate social media in that way because like in a sense, like it does keep that dating pool open. And then the other hand, I think Adam is right asking the right question. And it's a question we should ask all the time, like, why am I here? And that should be your question when you're scrolling on social media. Like if you're if you're lonely and you're curious about your sexuality, like probably scrolling through your ex-girlfriend's feed is not the place to be. Like yeah. you were just gonna find yourself more lonely and depressed than you were before. Because, you know, why are you there? Well, you're there to try to get something that is not gonna be given to you there. Um, and so that's it's it's growing that awareness and understanding of yourself to know when you are going off the rails a little bit. And then, I mean, it's the same way, you know, when you're on a date with your spouse, if you are on your phone the whole time and then you forget why you're there, which is to connect with your spouse, then, you know, you missed it. I mean, that can be anything. You go to your job during the day and you're spaced out doing who's no, who knows what, like you're still not experiencing what you should be experiencing in that moment. So, I mean, I have, I have been there. I have been in the loss where I've just lit literally bawled my eyes out in in a fetal position in a field, just cried myself to sleep, just lonely and sad. Um, but God is with you in those moments. And I think that is an uncomfortable thing to hear. And I want to say that with the modifier of like, I have been in that situation and it's been it took like a year and a half plus to even like start thinking about like, oh, like this doesn't always have to be the way it is. Like God yeah. 
does have people for me. Like he does have relationship for me. It just takes so long. And I, I mean, I say the same thing in conversations I have about suicide and depression. Like when you are feeling smothered by something that you can't control and something that is just breaking your heart, just the blinders go completely up and you can't, you can't see, you can't feel, you can't think straight. And I mean, that can lead you to panic attacks. It can suicidal thoughts, you know, it's just so hard in those moments to step outside yourself to see what's true. Like when I get in those moments, like all rationality is gone. And I like, you have to, have to, have to have people like you can talk to and verbalize those things. And like, you're probably going to end up with the same frustrations and questions, but like the more that stuff comes to the light, the more those frustrations come to the light, the more healing that you find. And that was kind of my philosophy moving on from there is like, you know, I'm done with like trying to figure this out myself and being frustrated with it. I'm just going to continue to basically just vomit it out. Like, and it, it's more painful that way at the beginning, but it goes away. I mean, like who wants to vomit? It's very uncomfortable, but after you vomit it a couple of times, you start to feel better. And like, it's that continual just purging of those things so you can find healing. And I think that, that, that loneliness is the same thing. I mean, the devil wants to send you to isolation. He wants to isolate you and separate you. His plan is to attack you. He wants to get you away from the flock, away from the other sheep where you're vulnerable and it's easy yeah. to destroy you. So like as, as difficult as it is to like connect and trust people when you feel lonely, it becomes all the more important because you will become lost in yourself. And I think that's where like, if you have a great, family that that comes in if you have a great church or that comes in but the frustrating part is like you know what's the study that's like I don't know how many people they ask but like most people can't even think of like two trusted friends they would tell everything to like if they were in trouble they don't even know who they would call mm. so like in that same way as you as you are searching for someone to spend your life with it, which I, again, I don't think is a shameful mission. I don't think it's a shameful plan, but as you're doing that, like you have to, you have to count up the cost. Like there is an attack going on around you. If you put your blinders just on this thing, like you are going to get like sideswiped by this loneliness and you have to continue to have, you know, these people you're talking to that you're praying with that are coming alongside you to strengthen you. And it, this is why I, I think there's such a, a frustration and loneliness in young adults in this extended adolescence that Adam was talking about, because, you know, there's marriage conference after marriage conference, and then we have young adults in this longer and longer period of singleness, and it, it looks different in every season. I mean, being single when you're 21 looks very different from being single when you're 26, looks very different from your thirties, from your forties. And like, you can still have that desire, those frustrations, but it's gonna, it's gonna look really different. And I think something that was really helpful to me in that time was like having a multifaceted approach, you know, like still pursuing those relationships, but also like pouring out to God what I was feeling in as an 
embarrassingly, like as embarrassingly and awkwardly as possible, like in my journals and like, I would like do painting and things. And, you know, these are things that I would be so embarrassed to like say out loud or tell someone and like, I can read them back now and be like, oh my gosh, that was so stupid. Like, why did I feel that way? Like, that's so yeah. like not reality. But I mean, God wants to meet you in that honesty. And the more that, like, for me, it's always shame. So like, the more you're ashamed of it and more I hide it, the less you're going to find healing from those things. And then you need to find people, mentors who are in the same space as you or speaking to where you're at. Like, and maybe it's not people in your direct circle. Maybe it is like, you know, Julie Sattery for me, it was just a great person. I needed to hear what she had to say. And I needed to, you know, find people who were married that would let me ask questions about sex, would let me think about it. Because I think Matt Chandler said this, like the devil's scheme for your sexuality is to like push as hard as possible for you to have sex before you're married and then after you're married to get you to not have sex at all because like that's where the the intimacy is torn apart like god's design is for you to be sexually intimate with your spouse I, we lost it there for a second and, and actually we're still losing in that spot especially oh am i dying well you're dying for a little bit that's all right sorry that's, a, that's all right connection Anyway, I was just, I, I got on my, my pulpit, but <laughs> yeah, all that to say, like, if you, if you're a single and you want to be married and you are not there and it's exhausting and frustrating to you, you're not alone. You're very heard. Like God gets that. And that's more and more people's experience. So you like definitely have people to rally around you and you can, it's important to grieve that. And also like, you also don't have to stay there. I mean, the thing about grief is it fluctuates. Like you can be super sad one minute and perfectly happy and hanging out with your friends the next. And like, that's okay. God, that, that scatterbrainedness, like God welcomes it. Just mm -hmm. pray all the crazy prayers that you have. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I am of the philosophy that you lean into it. If, if something hurts, you just lean into it as hard as yeah. possible and say, you know, God, where are you going to meet me here? Like, I know that you're going to meet me, that you are near to the brokenhearted because that's what you promised. Like, I know that you have designed me this way and I know it's not a lie. So like something is here that I'm missing and how can I, <laughs> I, I always push it. That's just, I'm the fight, not the flight. I push in as hard as I can and say, God, what is this? Like wrestle with him. Like he wants to fight with you about it mm -hmm. because he's like, no, I get it. Let's talk about it. Let's fight about it. Like there is, there is goodness for you even in this. Like even so, there's still goodness for you in that. So That's a wrap on week two of this very special series uh, with Michael. And thanks again to Michael for letting us come on his show. Um, if you don't already, follow We Shall Not Sleep podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's such good content. I love what he puts out. Every month he puts out about two interviews and then this really great just short devotional content. And I love just following his thoughts as he studies scripture, as he shares it with his church. It's really encouraging and edifying and I think you're really going to like it. So hop over there wherever you get his, wherever you get your podcast at and find We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Hit that subscribe button. You don't want to miss it. And you don't want to miss next week, the last week of this little series. So thanks so much for being a part of it. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.